One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. TBH, um, um, before jumping into it, where did you learn the metronome trick? There was a period in time, and I still do a little bit, but I watched mm -hmm. a lot of like Let's Plays on YouTube mm -hmm. uh, where people would play video games, and I saw them doing uh, something where they would link up their audio with their video mm -hmm. by going into a game menu and then clicking like up, 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 down, down, up, down, at like at a weird rhythm so that they could find the spots to link them up. Um, and then I was like, oh, that makes sense when you have two yeah. separate files like that. And yeah. I was like, oh, we will have two different files, so I will need to know how to link them up and I want to be kind of more exact about mm -hmm. it. So for both saying the same thing at the same time, then that I can use to link and then a metronome is the easiest thing to, to link up. So savvy. As long as people have rhythm. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, election day coming up basically. And, and at first I remember seeing my friend post about asking for any of her friends who speak Thai, who's a US citizen to give a video about why they're voting for Joe Biden. And at first mm -hmm. I didn't want to do it because I was like, you know, I have where I stand and everything, but I'm not fully political. And then mm -hmm. I remember seeing, I think we are rising. It's this streetwear brand that really promoted the hate is not a virus campaign mm -hmm. and materials. And I remember mm -hmm. them posting a stat about how Asian Americans aren't really part of the voting poll, Southeast Asians in specific. Election day this year is going to be particularly strange because it's not going to be just a single day. It's probably going to be a week, maybe even a couple of weeks because of mail-in votes and how complicated everything's going to be mm -hmm. a potential like non-peaceful transfer of power. But oh, yeah. we're going to try to like avoid some of like the strictly political talk and kind mm -hmm. of talk more broadly about something that's really important to us, I think, or at least very important to me, which mm -hmm. is the like the concept of identity. Mm -hmm. Identity is becoming kind of a growing part of the conversation, especially in politics and just like social life in general. Mm -hmm. So I think we just wanted to spend some time, like, I guess, introing it because it's such a big topic that we can't possibly cover it all in this one episode. Mm -hmm. Today, we're going to be talking about what it was like for the both of us to grow up uh, being Asian American. I'm Calvin. And I'm Jean. And this is 27, a podcast about growing up. Calvin, how was growing up? At least growing up. I can't describe the person who I was or am without talking about what got me here and mm -hmm. my parents, especially. Like mm -hmm. my parents' lives and their decisions mm -hmm. have had such a big influence on like who I am mm -hmm. that it is impossible for me to like say all this stuff and not have to mention the fact that my parents did this because my parents immigrated from Vietnam yeah. during the Vietnam War. They wanted a better life for me, blah, blah, blah. Like, mm -hmm all this stuff is so baked into like all the things that i grew up doing all the things that i like ended up getting interested in and like mm -hmm. the path that I, that I took up until like maybe a couple of years ago mm -hmm. that it's hard for me to separate a lot of that stuff from like who i am my growing up experience i would say is pretty typical of an asian american person or kind of the stories and stereotypes that you hear about like i studied a lot mm -hmm. I played piano i did sports um i guess that one's a little bit different that is it, yeah that is actually very different well because what happened was like my family was super focused on wanting me to be well-rounded and academically ready. Mm -hmm. um, so like in my free time as a kid, I spent a lot of time doing workbooks. I didn't have a lot of like, hobbies. I mm -hmm. didn't draw. I didn't play sports out of my own volition. I didn't have like personal interests. I just had things that I did. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and they weren't necessarily <laughs> things that I much cared about, mm -hmm. but they were things that I did that took up time and like made me sort of a better person mm -hmm. or like you know sort of improved my day-to-day -day and like my 
work ethic and my habits and all that stuff.、Mm-hmm. But essentially, I didn't have free time because any time that I was doing something, it was either doing、um, academic stuff or it was like going to basketball practice or swim practice or playing piano. And I didn't have anything else that I really did.、Mm-hmm. I played video games.、Uh, I guess that was sort of a major part of my life growing、mm-hmm. up. But that didn't really set in until like I was eight or nine. A lot of my childhood is sort of a blur to me、mm-hmm. because it was all kind of this like I was doing these productive things and I didn't really have fun.、Mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of like friends or anything.、Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have a big community outside of. Going to school,、yeah. and then I never like had a best friend in like bas- my basketball、mm-hmm. team or something. So、yeah. I was sort of just on my own doing self improvement stuff.、Mm-hmm. What about like, you? I was like, for me, somewhat same boat, but I feel like different purpose, right? Because my mom put me in a lot of things, but it was because she needed to get things done. So she would have to, like I have to be somewhere, and. She had to put me in somewhere because she used to leave us home alone when we were kids. By mistake, I had called the police because I didn't know. I know. And so they showed up to our house and was like, You can't leave your kids at home alone. And I was probably seven. You know, before that, she was leaving us home alone, before, like, you know, often to go drop off food or like do her, like anything that she had to do for work. And then After that incident happened, was like, okay, we need to put them somewhere. So, <laughs> growing up, I would go to temple for Saturday school and for summer school. I'd go to Kumon for after school tutoring and piano. Other than that, I was really good at being really involved in the things I would do. So, really enjoyed making collages, really enjoyed just like, like imagining scenarios with my sister and my cousin, because I grew up with, you know, with kids around and also grew up with neighborhood kids. So, in some way, it was like very typical Asian American growing up and upbringing, but at the same time, not because I feel like my mom and dad didn't really restrict me. And they're just、mm-hmm. like, As long as you're not, you know, annoying us or anything, like as long as you're busy doing something, like it's okay. And also, I have an older brother who is much more down the like rebellion American kid. So they were kind of going up against that as like, a, what is a boundary for how much we put on our child and what's not a boundary to cross over? So that's kind of like, I think, where my childhood's. Maybe like aligned up more to American than Asian.、Mm. There are just some areas that like felt very differentiated between Asian and American. Like I grew up camping also. So, you know, I would go out camping and there's like a lot of white families out in Arizona on a lake and we would go、mm. every week. And then the Asian part is like going to temple school and like going to a second language school and all that good stuff. I mean, that sounds so different than like the way that I grew up because I had such a like a rigid structure to the way that I did things.、Uh, is Kumon a class or is it one on one? It's a class, right? It's, they have two offerings, is what I remember. I did a one on one because, okay. because it, I was with my sister. So whatever we did, my mom just wanted us together. So we would be our own private class. Because、mm-hmm. for me, I like grew up going to essentially what was like a, An education supply store, like a place、mm-hmm. where teachers would go to get like worksheets and workbooks and stuff to like、mm-hmm. give to their classes.、Mm-hmm. That was where I was going with my parents to buy books so that I could get ahead in school. I was essentially doing more school, like up until like,、yeah. uh, to the point where I knew my multiplications tables by the time I was in kindergarten. Oh my god. And I like, 
maybe first grade. I like, I knew them really early. That's so and nice. I had like completed geometry and probably like eighth grade level geometry by like fourth grade. I was like always ahead in terms of school. And that was because I didn't do anything yeah. besides school. And like when I would come home from school, I would do more school mm -hmm. over the weekend. I'd have school mm -hmm. and then I would play basketball and then I would like maybe play Pokemon. And mm -hmm. then that's kind of that was like my whole life. Mm -hmm. Not that that's a bad thing because yeah. I, I've like become successful and like I have there are a lot of great things that have happened out of that but on the other hand I also like didn't establish a lot of social skills or like mm -hmm. a lot of I never like hung out with people like mm -hmm. I, I don't think in all of elementary school I'd like gone to somebody else's like, house yeah, same same I feel <laughs> you on that there's like there's just some lines I think there are some lines where you and I are similar about like how our parents integrated school and education and certain disciplines into our mm -hmm. lives that really shape who we are but I think where we differ is like how we position it for ourselves, where mm. sometimes I feel like there are things that they've done for me that I reject. And that's that's how it's formulating where I am today versus like accepting that, you know, they put all these things in me that is supposed to help me get to where I am to like get where I am today, like getting into college. You know, mm. I give them like. 50% of the credit and then the other 50% is like goes into my challenging personality where I like to challenge the things that they give me and I think it's in that experience is what's given me my footing in what I believe in now and like mm -hmm. giving me the confidence to be able to move forward in life even though I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah and you had mentioned like being a I guess technically a middle child and also a twin right like mm -hmm. that is such a huge like that i feel like that's the, the perfect recipe for being sort of more of a rebellious person oh, yeah. is um because I, i'm the eldest child mm -hmm. and i had nothing to like really compare the way that i grew up to because mm -hmm. i i had like cousins but i would see them maybe once a month mm -hmm. twice a month mm -hmm. and i never really had the chance to really like gauge like how do how do my aunts and uncles treat my cousins like i never really saw that mm -hmm. i just saw them in sort of a like a hangout context i never really had the like the deep insight of like how other people were being treated or growing up and then even if i did like it's my cousins right mm -hmm. like i don't think there's gonna be a huge deviation within like my aunts and uncles yeah. about how they're gonna raise their kids mm -hmm. so not having any sort of reference for like rebellious kids apart from like these like larger than life cartoon characters yeah. or like people on like malcolm in the middle like yeah. i wasn't gonna model my life i wasn't <laughs> gonna be like oh i want to be like them yeah it was more just like i i'm just gonna do what my parents say because they're the the support and yeah. the like the guidance that I have so mm -hmm. I wasn't really much of a rebel as a kid mm -hmm. I call myself like the good rebel because I don't think I rebelled too hard I think I rebelled just enough that there's like a good tack in our relationship that makes it fun now you know it took it took a lot of challenging to be able to get there which is very different from my mom right I have a much more closer relationship to my mom be because of that and because she can talk to her you know Asian auntie friends about like the relationship she has with me which is they think is also kind of bizarre because <laughs> of the way I'm very playful with her or the way I push things with her um mm -hmm. but it's definitely you know coming from the whole like 50 50 situation where 50 percent I accept like the disciplines that are important to you and like what you believe is valuable in a successful life and then the other 50 percent is rebelling and saying like i don't really believe in this thought process and having that conversation with her of like you need to position it like this but i and i tell her like at least this arguing with you is giving me the footing when i have to like stand my ground with someone else and 
you know, we can have a comfortable pushback or a comfortable playoff um, because there are some hard conversations that happen in life that you're not going to have your parents around. I was telling her, like, you at least want to feel confident that when you throw me out in the world and you're not with me, that like I can actually hold it myself and I'm not going to come home crying to you. So mm. she's like, OK, but, you know, lighten it up a little bit because, you know, it, it hurts. I'm like, OK, got it. We can compromise on that. Mm. Okay. My relationship with my mom is very, I guess we don't have that same like playful disagreement. Mm -hmm. um, the behavior that I sort of had as a child, I was very mm -hmm. docile and I was very mm -hmm. like, sure. Like I was just, I kind of the same, the same kind of energy that I have with you or just like, mm -hmm. oh, like I'll go along with it and like, mm -hmm. we'll see what happens. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm down to try anything. That was sort of what, what my relationship with, was with my mom. So I was much more of like, a, I'll go along with it and mm -hmm. like, oh, let's see what happens mm -hmm. as opposed to like a person who would talk back and be much more like argumentative, I guess. Mm -hmm. That sounds negative, but mm -hmm. I never had much of a back and forth with mm -hmm. uh, my parents growing up. Yeah. It's something that I'm trying to work through more because the, I guess the realization that I had just like while listening to you talk was mm -hmm. I had grown up first 18 years of my life, mm -hmm. like learning all these things and kind of uh, things that have been really good, like yeah. having a good work ethic and mm -hmm. having high standards and mm -hmm. um, being able to like hold myself to different things. Mm -hmm. And then in college, when I was off on my own, um, I started to develop like new ideas and new thoughts about different things. Mm -hmm. And those have like coexisted. Mm -hmm. And then it's at like this point, maybe at 27, but yeah. <laughs> like maybe just generally now, yeah. there are incongruities between these two things mm -hmm. that I'm trying to like parse out but because I never had that kind of argumentative mm. Socratic discussion yeah. growing up it's hard for me to like really try to figure out what is me underneath all these these two separate things mm -hmm. that I experienced yeah does that make sense no it totally makes sense this also kind of goes because my sister doesn't have the same relationship or my brother the same relationship that I have with my mom I think mm -hmm. it's a very unique one that we cultivated FYI, your girl has been single for a very long time. <laughs> but um, but I think it's because I really valued that time that I am single to really think and reflect on myself that I was able to combine like the different thought processes that I have of developing and growing as a person in the different stages of life mm -hmm. and really like push it together into my own thought process now. So I'm very comfortable in my thoughts and how I feel about things to be able to challenge my mom with it. It's not viewing from my perspective in, but viewing from the circumstance out. So when I talk to my mom, I, you know, tell her what I think, but also tell her like, it's not just me, like in consideration of like where you are, I understand this is what you're going through in consideration of my sister and her life experience. Like, and so mm. we have to be considerate about like, her emotions here of what she's going through, your emotions here and your, you know, journeys of displacement and not having connection there. And then, you know, my own thought process of being this weird child who is, you know, like trying to figure out like a whole new journey that my mom wasn't prepared for me to go on, which is starting the studio, which I find myself in this position a lot is mediating the different emotions and different thoughts between my sister and my mom and sometimes my brother. But that's very much because, you know, I had that time to think about all these thought processes together from being alone and reflecting on who my identity is without other people coming in where you're talking about how you're still in the process of, you know, figuring out like how these these minds really combine together. Yeah, I, I'm, it's also definitely like you've somehow 
maybe not bypassed, but like you found like a, a quicker way around this idea of like, especially Asian people, mm-hmm. with this idea that like our parents' word is gospel and like is really important and mm-hmm. we should pretty much hold whatever our family says in high regard. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that a lot of people struggle with, especially in like young adulthood, oh, yeah. where it's trying to separate that line of like, what do I want? And what do I know about the things that I want versus mm-hmm. like what my parents think that I need or mm-hmm. what that's like a good idea. And acknowledging that sometimes they don't know shit about what you're doing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that like they might mean the best, but if they have absolutely no idea what's happening, what's the point? But mm-hmm. I think a lot of us, especially if uh, in, like a situation where I grew up, where I had pretty railroaded, pretty like rigid structure, it's hard to like acknowledge that your parents might just be 100% wrong about something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that might be something that like your sister struggles with and Mm -hmm. what kind of what you're doing with the mediation is kind of like getting to the root of what your mom is like asking for and wanting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And there's a a saying, I forget who said it. I don't know where I heard it from that I think is very important, which is listening and hearing aren't the same things. You have to, when I when I talk to my mom or when I see her and we have any conversations together, I listen to what she says, but I hear what she actually means is my practice with her. So sometimes she'll come up suddenly and like say these things and I just like look at her because she's all like hot and like, you know, coming in all like frantic. And then I'll just say, no, like, do we need to go pay something right now? Like, what is what is it that you forgot? And then she's like, yeah, actually, I think I need to go pay this. And like, that is the, that's what she's saying. But if I was to just listen directly to her, I would have probably started an argument about like, why are you pressing me for these things? And like, what's going on? And it's like, okay, actually this was the concern. And it's not easy to practice. It's very, I think it's very, very hard because I think you have to be vulnerable in that it might feel like it's attacking attacking your you know your thought or attacking like who you are in that moment um, and you want to defend and you just have to like take it in first and accept it and then just kind of process you know really fast in that moment of like <laughs> what's actually going on and then you can like say it back and so you're coming from a supporting route instead of a defending route which i think mm-hmm. makes a conversation a lot easier um but it you know it takes a lot of time and i feel like with a lot of Asian American kids growing up, they don't have that, you know, Mm -hmm. they very much have the like, kid is in the nest, kid gets out of the nest. Uh, No, I guess even Calvin, like, do you speak your, your mother tongue? I do not. You do not? Okay. So just, Mm -hmm. I guess as a primer, I speak English and like barely any Cantonese, Mm -hmm. period. (laughs) My mom and my dad speak English, Vietnamese. Mandarin, mm-hmm. Cantonese, they're like regional languages. Oh my gosh. I think that's it. But they like minimum five languages mm-hmm. between the two of them. And they've like developed their own like married couple language where they'll mix every single one. So growing up, I couldn't distinguish between different words in different languages. Uh-huh. So I have very little knowledge of like my mother tongue. Yeah, I feel like for me, I speak my tongue, right? My mother tongue. Mm-hmm. It's probably because my parents love Thai Lacans. Like, you know, they had it playing in the background. So whether or not I had, you know, picked up on it early on, I was always hearing it. I think growing up and seeing that where between like English and Thai, like I saw a separation, how, you know, folks interact when they're treated. But then also both of those representations were pushed on in my early life. 
I've always kept those two thought processes in my mind in between like, who do I want to be? Because I feel like when you see me now, it's like red lip and tattooed is not the Asian route at all. Like if you're thinking like docile Asian route, but it's also like a rebellious American route. So it's mm. it's kind of like a weird mix that happened um, in between talking more about learning Thai and like learning to speak Thai. One was like going to temple. And then I remember when I went to college, I didn't know anyone who spoke Thai there. So I felt like my English, like speaking English got way better in terms of my pronunciation and how I can like articulate words because I was terrible at it when I was younger. And it wasn't until I graduated college and started living at home again that, you know, my Thai became more of my primary language. And then it was probably my last trip to Thailand where I was like, wait, I can read everything. But then being sub like pushed into that environment with like only Thai definitely mm -hmm. like pushed how the language is, I guess, more fluid for me, but then also how it's so tied into my identity. Korean is now getting a bit more normalized in media. Japanese is getting a bit more normalized in media in terms of sounds. And mm -hmm. when you don't hear Southeast Asian languages in media and it suddenly pops up, it gets like, it's great that there's Asian languages being pushed in media, but then I also get to hear my language in it or like mm -hmm. something that's not quote-unquote like stereotypical Asian. Mm -hmm. Were you excited to hear Lisa speaking Thai oh, and the yeah. Blackpink? <laughs> oh yeah, I was like, wait, you're There's a lot of Thai in that because oh, they also yeah. performed in Bangkok like yeah. a couple of times in yeah. that documentary. Yeah, because I always wonder, I was like, is your, how good is your Thai actually in terms of like, is Korean your primary language now? Or like, do you, do you speak Thai? Because I think I speak Thai with still like somewhat of an international accent. And I was like, oh, mm -hmm. do you have an international accent to yours? So when mm -hmm. I heard Lisa's Thai, I was like, dude, your Thai is like stellar. <laughs> Actually, I think it's pretty stellar. <laughs> I would hope so. She was born yeah, in Bangkok. I was like, it, I think it sounds really stellar. Like it's, it has a really nice, like sweet ring to it. And I feel like my Thai does not have a sweet ring to it. So I guess sort of addressing the more baseline question, and I know that Jean has some things that she wants to talk about involving mm -hmm. it. I am like biologically Chinese, mm -hmm. but like ethnically, I'm a mix of Chinese and Vietnamese mm -hmm. because both my grandparents were born in China, but mm -hmm. then they had moved to Vietnam and both of my parents grew up in Vietnam and then moved to the States. I guess like I'm American and my parents are Vietnamese, but we're also both Chinese. It's kind of a big mix, but mm -hmm. my sort of background is pretty mm -hmm. common, but it's hard to explain sometimes. Yeah. So I carry a lot of like Vietnamese culture and I carry a lot of Vietnamese like traditions mm -hmm. within my family but I'm not Vietnamese except for like I'm like maybe an eighth Vietnamese yeah which is also very much part of like a loss a lot of Asian family experiences too where they migrated from different regions so like ethnically they're one but like you know biologically they're another <laughs> which is very confusing mm -hmm. um that's somewhat similar to my family where I don't know which I think it's maybe my great-grandfather China, right? From China mm -hmm. down to Thailand and then just got a lot of Thai babies that now we're fully Thai. I guess we have like very, very little like actual, I think, Chinese blood. Mm -hmm. We really push just more of like our Thai identity now for mm -hmm. for us. For I think for every Asian family, it's not just um, it's not just like the one Asian identity that we're associated with. It's that there's so many other identities in it as well, and different stories that kind of happen that doesn't get resolved, and then it continues mm -hmm. to grow that identity into like different generations, which I guess leans into like multi generation 
and like how do yeah. we you know how well do we it's, it's a huge that? like intersectionality thing right like mm-hmm. intersectionality the idea that everybody's individual identities interlap in a way that like creates different problems or different privileges we're both first generation also mm-hmm. or however you count first or yeah. second generation because we're uh the children of immigrants mm-hmm. um and there's just like all these different things that interlap into having a different experience because us as first generation southeast asian people mm-hmm. are going to have a different a hundred million percent different yeah. experience than the person who is like the grandson of a Japanese immigrant, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's oh, yeah. such a different experience. Or somebody who moved to San Francisco when like Chinatown had started, mm-hmm. you know, like in the in the early 1900s, like mm-hmm. and had to experience um, like the Chinese Railroad Exclusion yeah. Act and all that's like all that stuff is so different than the the stuff that we have to face oh, as yeah. like people who came here mm-hmm. in or like our parents came here in like the 70s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and even just like the reasons of why our parents came here, I think really shaped the way that you know, they raise us and the way they, you know, project different things onto us. Like my mom has always talked about how Thailand as a country, we're not colonized. So we Mm -hmm. don't have that same trauma that's, you know, portrayed into like our friends who are Laos. Like we have, I have like Laos. Vietnamese people. Yeah. Yeah. Same Vietnamese (laughs) people. Colonized twice. Yeah. (laughs) You're like BT dubs. Um, But yeah, like our Laos, Uh, aunts and uncles like my mom would tell me they were 12 they all tied little uh they tied little bars of gold to their body and then they swam across across the river to escape and then they were put into different refugee camps and like were separated you know we haven't had to experience that so we don't carry that trauma and we don't carry that fear that's going to be projected into raising your kids or how you maintain your family ties and all that stuff so you said you don't like to be asked what kind of Asian you are unless it is from another Asian person, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So if I was to ask you like what kind of Asian you are, I feel like within different Asian communities, it's kind of funny to like mm. in my my perspective because it's like we're trying to ask you like where you're from without saying where you're from, but also like just, mm. you know, what kind? Like what's your ethnicity really in a very banter way? Um, and I feel like in some way it like relates to how things kind of are intersected in different Asian identities. But I feel mm. like when someone who is not Asian asks me, I feel fetishized. And it, this is just me projecting where I feel like you don't have that like inside joke connection about like what it means when we say that or like the mm. banter when we say that. And so when you say, what kind of Asian are you and you're not Asian, it's a little bit awkward to me because I'm like, I don't know if you actually are understanding or you're actually like fetishizing or you just don't mm-hmm. know the way to say Because that. it is like a flattening, right? Mm-hmm. It's still, I, I think like my intellectual mind knows like it's still not great because mm-hmm. even though an Asian person has more like context to like what that means when somebody tells you, you know, that they're Japanese or that mm-hmm. they're Korean or that they're Laotian, mm-hmm. um, it's still like a flattening, yeah. but it is a more acceptable flattening because an Asian person at least has a little bit more like nuance in terms of the information that they have, yeah. right? Or we would um, we would hope, you know. Yeah. So I guess kind of building off of that, when did you have the realization that you were Asian, that you weren't just like a normal Malcolm mm-hmm. the Middle white boy? I thought a lot about this question because I think it's very important to me. I mm-hmm. first knew I was Thai before I knew I was Asian because the elementary mm-hmm. school I went to was primarily Hispanic community, Black community, Indian, Thai, and like Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. And then I just assumed China. Like I just thought there were literally like six types of folks in the world. 
it wasn't until I went to middle school where I was like, I'm Asian, I'm not just Thai, because there's so many other Asian folks here too. And I also remember like、mm-hmm. the first white boy I officially met, his name was Jake. I still remember to this day. It's so funny. <laughs>、um, so going into middle school is when I realized I was Asian. And then going into my work experience was when I re- like really understood, like, no, I'm Asian. Because Do you, like, do you remember my whole blonde hair phase and everything?、Oh, yeah. yeah, I thought that was me trying to make myself look more adult because I didn't want to have my black hair because I thought it made me look younger and people、mm. would not take me as seriously. But I didn't realize it was because I was trying to play down my Asianness、mm. and trying to be more white or more Americanized so that it would. I would be more accepted into a professional world. I didn't want people to read me as the Asian designer who's quiet in the corner or the Asian、mm-hmm. designer who's a production designer. I wanted to be like a designer with thoughts. You know, I wanted to be presented as、mm-hmm. a designer with thoughts. And then there was one moment when I was the, going to the bathroom, walking out. And I saw my reflection and I was like, oh shit, I'm Asian. Like, I'm not white. It was like this really f- weird realization, but I was like, your girl is Asian, you know? And that was probably around like 25, was when I really was like, no, you're, you're really Asian. <laughs> like, you're not、mm-hmm. anything else. For me,、mm-hmm. that realization had kind of happened, I guess at the same time, but、mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna preface it with like, I had two like mini moments、mm-hmm. uh, in elementary school、yeah. where I had like this realization that I was different.、Mm-hmm. Maybe not necessarily that I was specific, like, I didn't have the idea of like Asian in my head, but it was、um, a similar thing where I went to a school that was a mix of like、uh, Latinx people、mm-hmm. and a couple of Asian people and a couple of white people.、Mm-hmm. The first one was when we were learning the alphabet, or when I, we were reciting the alphabet.、Uh, I had been taught by my parents that it was H and not H. I feel、um, you on that so which is,、hard. Uh, which I, I learned is like either British, Australian, like people in the world do say H,、mm-hmm. but it was not like normal, I guess,、mm-hmm. amongst the people that I was learning the alphabet、yeah. with. So I said H, and then people were correcting me and say H. I was like, oh, okay. Also, In class, we were asked to go in a circle and talk about something that helps us fall asleep, right?、Mm-hmm. And I had said the Chinese word for blanket,、mm-hmm. fully thinking, like, that's, that's just the word, right? Because it's well,、yeah. words are words, and everybody、yeah. knows what I'm talking about. And nobody knew what I was talking about. <laughs> and they were like, Did you mean a blanket? And I was like, Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I was like, No, I didn't mean that. I meant the thing that I said. Yeah.、Um, but I realized later that I was like, Oh, that is what they were talking about.、Mm-hmm. And I.、Um, I'm speaking a different language. Yeah. But like you said,、uh, I also had the realization that I was Asian in middle school because the middle school that we had gone to, we had,、uh, Gina and I went to the same middle school. People would like self identify as Asian and、mm-hmm. had like Asian pride and all these other things,、mm-hmm. like very, very MySpace graphics、oh, and stuff.、Yeah. But that, this <laughs> idea that like we can be, we are, we are different, but in a way that we can be ha-、uh, proud and happy of. And I thought、mm-hmm. that was、uh, different and. It was something that I hadn't really been exposed to. Like、mm-hmm. people who were incorporating it into an identity as opposed to just like just like an adjective or、yeah. like something that they、yeah. would describe themselves as. Oh, yeah. How are you handling your Asian identity with your fam and also being now in a creative space? It's definitely complicated、mm-hmm. because not necessarily that my parents see being in the creative field as being like antithetical、mm-hmm. to like who I am or what our goals are. But just that, I think there's the perception that creative fields are less stable.、Mm-hmm. That was something that I was raised to like really value and something that、uh, my parents still like to this day really pre-、um, encourage me <laughs> to, to, to seek out in my life. 
when it comes to like my relationship with my family and with my Asianness, it's less about feeling like I fit in because I do feel like there's a there's a significant number and like a growing number of mm -hmm. Asian American designers and mm -hmm. especially Asian creatives that like it doesn't feel like it's weird anymore, mm -hmm. but it does become a conversation with my family of like it being a stable job and being something that I can do long term mm -hmm. without having a like a super negative impact on retirement and mm -hmm. owning a home and mm -hmm. having a family and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. With my identity now, I there's sometimes where I feel like I'm very Asian and because of my I feel like more of my traditional thoughts on, you know, religion in terms of like like you see the office, there's like monks here, you know, like your girl is like in that like spiritually, I guess, maybe spiritually Asian Buddhist. But then there are moments where I feel like it's I guess that rebel character that's really different in I guess probably Asian girl relationships like or Asian girl mm -hmm. identity relationships because there are times when I talk to folk or talk to some you know Asian creative femme female identifying person and they are very much coming from the daughter sense and like mm -hmm. I'm coming from a daughter sense but in a very again like challenging way where it's like why would you not do this why would you say this why don't you push back here and they they're like I can't because my mom or my dad and I'm like I understand what you mean by that it's again like not having crossed a certain stage in life to understand mm -hmm. like from the parent side what they mean where you know being in a creative field definitely was scary for my parents they're just like they used to say you have to go be a doctor like you can do art on the side and when I would tell them no in high school they would like hide my color pencils or paints and I would just go get new ones basically like mm. that was a funny relationship it wasn't until uh, you know going to college definitely helped them feel a bit more secure about me going down this path and then once we you know went down the studio path she saw that I can like support her and saw that I can support everyone and like I am very much the family unit mentality like we mm -hmm. move as a family we take care of each other as a family and like which I think kind of ties into what Asian creative folks don't understand. Um, and really coming from the parent mentality of like, it's not that they want you to get a high paying job. They might, I don't know your family, right? Like they might, but what mm. they really want to know is that like, when they're no longer there, that you're going to be okay. And right. you know, that's why, I think that's why like they press for marriage, they press for kids, they press for you getting a house. It's not because they, they want kids or they want, you know to like continue on the family name is that when they're no longer there anymore they want to know that you're okay and that you're going to be taken care of young asian creative folks they're fo so focused on the art part that they want to show their parents that like they make beautiful art that they you know are contributing something really amazing into the world but to your parents that doesn't really matter sometimes what really matters is that like you're going to be okay and you know coming from that sense of like if you can show that you can take care of them now they're gonna feel so much more comfortable in your career in addition to that in terms of how asianness plays like a role outside of creativeness and just in my life in general mm -hmm. um it's definitely like trying to carve out a unique way of self-identifying that feels more honest to me mm -hmm. i think that there's this period especially early 20s or like once you're in college and like getting out of college mm -hmm. you're trying to fit yourself into different like boxes mm -hmm. and just trying to see like what kind of fits what kind of works and what elements of each am i kind of pulling 
into like creating this own identity for myself mm -hmm. and the things that resonate and the things that feel right. And mm -hmm. that's kind of the place where I'm at now where um, Asian-ness is a piece of who I am mm -hmm. and it's a thing that I resonate with and it's something that like I feel kinship with the group, but it is not like the the marquee like yeah. I am an Asian person, right? Mm -hmm. Like it is a piece of my identity and it's something that influences me, but it's not it's not driving me. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know. I feel you. Um, it's part of like, I guess the part of growing up is like confronting these identities and like being okay to disrupt your utopia, right? Mm -hmm. And like whatever current utopia you have about your identity, it's okay if it changes because you're developing more in-depth thoughts and you're really tying into like how your actual self ties into these labels that it's put on that that are put on you and then like how you're dropped into different environments so that's pretty much wraps up everything that we want everything that we wanted to say for this session mm -hmm. like obviously identity and being asian is such a large and widespread thing for the both of us that we can't possibly do it in an episode so we will be talking about like the context of us being asian in like a future episode but this was sort of the primer just like just some stories about growing up for the both of us mm -hmm. and sort of the way that we see Asianness playing in our lives in the past and currently. But yeah, thank you for listening. Um, feel free to share our podcast however you listen to it, mm -hmm. whether that's Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I'm going to pass it over to Jean so yeah. that she can give us our final prompt and then we'll, uh, we'll say goodbye. I think the prompt would be going back to one of the questions we had, which was like, when was a positive moment that you felt Asian? Right. And like mm. kind of or, or the identity that you are. If yeah. You're not Asian. Yeah. Or the yeah, the identity that you are um, and kind of think about like the context of why overall, like I feel like remove the, the pride sense of it, but really think about like what was that momentum that sparked it? Do you feel that momentum carried out into other aspects of your life and into other identities that you identify with? And, you know, using that to help guide you in, you know, whatever you're currently going through right now cool yeah awesome. yeah so uh we'll catch you all next time mm -hmm. bye bye